Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Preaching from my laptop. Is that like so millennial or what? Hey, I want to tell you guys a story just to start. Um, I have a friend named Steve who helped lead an outreach in Dayton last week. And in the outreach, they took bottles of water and little snack packs and stuff like that. Um, just to different areas of Dayton to bless people in like a practical way and just to love them and then offer prayer, you know, if that felt like the next step. And so there was a pastor that went along with him. His name is Tommy. And from what I understand, this was kind of new to him, like really getting outside and and doing evangelism, that type of stuff. And they went to a bus stop and approached, were approaching people. And then Tommy just really felt like it impressed upon his heart that he needed to go talk to a certain guy. So he went and um, went to him and said, hey man, I just wondered if you would like a bottle of water, just a practical way to show you God's love. And to be honest, I just really felt on my heart like I needed to pray for you. Is there anything you can use prayer for? And the guy looked at him shocked and said, yes, I need prayer. I was going home right now to commit suicide. And Tommy, got to, Tommy just stopped his day and spent the next 45 minutes with him, ministering to him, loving him, sharing about um, the, th- the things he had overcome in his life. And the guy ended up praying on the spot to receive Jesus. And then that guy walked around with him the rest of the afternoon, giving out bottles of water. Isn't that amazing? And... I just, I think there's no more timely of a, of a week for me to hear that story with the two suicides that happened that were so um, public and so um, just in the spotlight this week. It's, it's really terrible. It's so sad that, that that is what happened this week. But that story can be a point of redemption. Um, it can be a point of focus for us. Because like we, we hear about that type of stuff and for me it just kind of makes me feel all helpless and think, man, like, what can we even do? And the word I felt like God said to me was, Wilson, the church needs to step into its comfort zone. And we kind of flip that a lot and we say, hey, step outside of your comfort zone and pray for somebody. Or step outside of your comfort zone and... Um, be willing to, you know, pay for someone's meal or ask someone if they want prayer. But I just want to say that's a lie that it's outside of our comfort zone. Because my comfort zone is not measured by what makes me feel good. You know that that's earthly comfort. That's peace that the world gives us, is our circumstances. But Jesus gave us peace that would never leave. And so sometimes to access Jesus' peace, we have to step outside of what we think is comfortable into what he says we're supposed to do. If all we do is try and live in a contained bubble where we um, are constantly measuring what people's reactions are going to be. I mean, I think of that so much. I'm always like, this person's going to think I'm high if I ask them if I can pray for them. They're going to think I'm homeless and I'm just trying to like get money from them or something. Like that's the, that's the most typical interaction we have with strangers, right? Like lots of times it's a homeless person asking us for money, you know? But dude, 
we just got to push past. And um, the only way we can actually push past is by learning more about who we actually are. Because if you feel like it's not your comfort zone, then you're actually believing a lie about yourself. Because Proverbs says that the, the righteous are as bold as lions. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That means that you're righteous and you're as bold as a lion. Because you have the lion of Judah living inside of you. Isn't that pretty cool? And this thing, I think that we can parallel with lions to keep us not jerks. Because how easy is it for Christians... When, especially when they want to evangelize or share God's love, to kind of come off with an edge. Like, is, if you're being honest, if I'm being honest, sometimes that's a part of why I don't want to do it. I don't want to pray for people. It's because I'm scared of the baggage they have with other Christians. And I'm scared of the interactions they've had with other Christians. But you know that in the book of Revelation, the predominant allegory, the predominant metaphor for who Jesus is, is not a lion. It's a lamb. The book of Revelation over and over and over talks about the lamb who was slain. So man, what if we looked at our acts of boldness and our stepping outside our comfort zone as a sacrifice to the world? As saying, hey, my master, Jesus, he sacrificed himself for the entire world, for all people that ever lived, to give them an opportunity to come into relation with him. So I'm going to follow his lead and live a life of constant sacrifice sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 says, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So A, we are a holy and pleasing being towards God. Is that good news? Like, do you ever feel like you're not holy and pleasing? (laughs) I feel that way sometimes, but Jesus says otherwise, and we are actually holy and pleasing. He made us holy and pleasing. So when we, when we know that, we know I'm, I'm already pleasing to God, then being pleasing to man, being pleasing to others won't be the driving force in our life. And when we, I would just encourage you, come back to that idea of when we step out, when we say, hey, I just want to give you a a bottle of water to show you God's love in a practical way. Or hey, can I just buy your Starbucks? Like, we don't even need, I don't even need to say anything else to you. I just want to buy your Starbucks just to bless you, just, just to show you that God loves you. When we do that, we're actually being a sacrifice. We're actually sacrificing towards God and we're being like Jesus. We're following his lead. Now, it's, um, does that story encourage anybody else about the dude coming to Jesus that's about to commit suicide? What if just one in a thousand people we prayed for, that was the story? Would it be worth it? One in a thousand times that we put ourselves out there as a living sacrifice. That would be, man, I'll give myself to one in a thousand times looking like an idiot so that people don't commit suicide. Like, whatever. Um, and I'm actually doing something, I just want to tell you really quick, and this will kind of lead into Second uh, Timothy, this series, Rise Above. I have a mentor in my life, a spiritual father named Mark Baxter. He's a, um, 
missions mobilizer, meaning he runs mission schools and he trains missionaries. And he's just get, him and his wife Janet have given their whole life to sending missionaries abroad. And they really had a big impact in my life. In 2010, I went and attended a school that they were leading called the Discipleship Training School through an organization, um, Youth of the Mission. And during this time, I gave my life to Jesus. I, I, maybe I like got I rededicated my life to Jesus, something like that. I'm not sure exactly how that works. But uh, I really then just modeled my Christian life for the next two and a half years following Mark and really learning from him and trying to just say, hey, he's been doing this for 40 plus years. I want to learn from his habits. He said, I never, something he would talk to us, I never go to sleep without having opened God's word once that day. I never go to sleep without having opened God's word. God's word once in a day. And then he pulled out his phone and he said, isn't it cool, the Bible app? <laughs> I like just lay on my back right before I go to sleep and fall asleep to the verse of the day. And um, another big goal of his that he shared with us, he says his, his BHAG, his big, hairy, audacious life goal is to preach the gospel in every single nation in the world. To step foot in every single nation and share the love of Jesus with people. And uh, so he emailed me Last October, and I'm just going to read you the email that he read to me. He said, Wilson, I'm excited about a trip I'm planning next summer and thought about you. So summer 2018. I want to go to Norway and minister to the Somali refugees living in Oslo. There are thousands of them, and they need to hear the gospel. The dates of the trip are June 24th to July 2nd. And then he just went into some logistics and said, let me know if you're interested. And at first, I was kind of like, not really sure. I mean, it sounded really cool, but I was also just not, there's just hesitancy for me. And the reason why, if I'm being totally honest, is because I had this, I have grown in this whole area of ministry um, where I'm trying to follow the Holy Spirit's leading and praying for healing, prophesying, really letting the power of God and the love of God being kind of the tip of the spear in my interactions with other people. And that wasn't something that I had learned from Mark. So I just felt this hesitancy, like, um, is it going to be weird for me to go on a trip with him where that's like all I want to do, but that's not really his MO for evangelism? I, I felt like it'd be like dishonoring or something. And a couple months, does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Like, we just had different kind of ministry philosophies, in a sense, of evangelism. And, yeah. So I was praying through that, and I really felt like God just, this was early this year, in February. And I just felt like God said, Hey, Wilson, don't take Mark for granted. Okay? This is a spiritual father asking you to go on a trip with him, inviting you to go do a trip with him. Don't take it lightly. Don't kind of write it off, which was a little bit of my hard attitude. And then secondly, I felt like, he said, Your, the way you do ministry isn't the right way. The right way is just representing me. And there's different ways to represent me. So you'll learn. You'll continue to learn from Mark as you go. And I mean, I think there is a lot of credence in the way that I do evangelism. But um, so fast forward, I committed to going on the trip with him. With a, um, and I'm really, really excited. It's like going to be total exploration. We barely have any con. We don't really have a huge plan, but we just know there's thousands of Somalians there who are really disliked and kind of marginalized by society. And so we're like, let's just go. And um, 
seek and destroy the devil, you know? <laughs> and how cool is it? I expect to come back from this trip having seen like a dozen Muslims come to Jesus. Isn't that like exciting, you know? So get this, a hundred, come on. So get this, last week, or two weeks ago, Mark emailed me and said, hey Wilson, here's what I'm thinking our ministry philosophy or, or the way that we should minister is, let's just go the father of lights route on this trip. And Father of Lights is a movie all about power evangelism. He said, let's go on this trip and let's just go after casting out demons out of people. Let's go for healing, salvation, all of it. Just Father of Lights style. <laughs> and so it was like, wow, such a, so encouraging to me. Like, I'm just so excited for this trip. But I want to ask you guys, please be praying for me I'm le- and my wife and daughter, I'm leaving on um, June 24th and coming back on July 5th. So we got an amazing deal if we flew on July 4th. So we're like, okay, let's do it. Um, But that's happening June 24th, July 5th. And I just ask you, please be praying for me. But when I got that email from Mark, that's kind of similar to how Timothy would have felt when he got the letter from Paul. He was getting a communication from a father, a mentor in his life, and he took it in that, in that way. He didn't take it as this abstract um, theological dissertation. He took it as a practical application to his life right in that moment. Now, there's amazing, important theology we get out of it, but I think we have to first and foremost remember the humanity of the Bible. And what I mean by that is that it was a real thing, a real letter, real documents, real records written to real people at a real point in time. And then that makes it, how, that makes it so much cooler that the Holy Spirit inspired it all and put a stamp of approval on it and said, hey, I'm going to mark this as something that Christians for the rest of time can be encouraged and learn from. But if we lose that personal aspect, then we lose a lot. So... Let's read 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. All right. But understand this. I'm going to pray. Father, this is all about you. The reason we gather here on Sunday mornings is because we want to continually adore you and learn from you who we really are. That's why I come here every Sunday morning. I want to know more about what you did for me on the cross, and I want to minister to your heart, and I want to love you. And so I pray that um, you, would, you would produce like a soft heart in all of us right now, so that we can hear your voice, so we can sense your presence, and that we can even just have transformational moments this morning during worship and during the message, and as we give, that, that lead us for the rest of our week. And let, let fires be started in our hearts this morning that um, we kindle throughout the week. Let, let us, give us grace to kindle this fire throughout the week and, and time to do that and not a men- mentality or a, a fear that I don't have enough time, I don't have enough time. Let ministering to you be the biggest priority in all of our hearts today and the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, 2 Timothy 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. So, starting with the first verse, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. We've, we have a kind of like bent, when we hear the word last days, whose first thought is like a post-apocalyptic fire falling from the sky, people getting sucked up into heaven, raptured, you know, left behind thing. Like, doesn't that pop into anybody's head? Has anybody seen the new Avengers? So like, you know, at the end of the new Avengers, I'm not going to tell you exactly what happens, but like, that's kind of what I think of, right? Um, but check it out. That's so, so wrong. All right? The, the idea that the last days are exclusively an end times apocalyptic era is totally misreading the Bible and the New Testament. It's not at all what the last days were understood as when they read it or what it means for us as we read it. What, right now, what we're living in is the last days. The last days are a, way, are a term to describe after Jesus ascended, after Jesus' first coming, and before his second coming. How many of you know that Jesus is coming back? Isn't that cool? Just do it right now, Jesus. Let's just wait for a second. All right. Um, Jesus went up, released the Holy Spirit to us, and the last days were kicked off. How do we know this? Because that's how the Apostle Peter interpreted the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was released on, on the believers in the upper room, and they were filled with the Spirit. Tongues of fire came. All this supernatural phenomena happened, which is very common when the Holy Spirit comes in a really powerful way. And the last days were kicked off. And, and, and so the last days is, think of it like this. This is a good analogy, I think. In World War II, when D-Day happened, that's like, historically, when we look at World War II, we know that the storming of Normandy was the turning point in the war. And that from D-Day on, pretty much the allies were going to win. That was like the strategic moment of the war for the allied forces for good to defeat evil in that war. Now, that didn't mean that the war all of a sudden got easy. That didn't mean that all of a sudden there was peace. It wasn't like D-Day happened and then V-E Day happened a week later. It was years later and it was actually the bloodiest fighting and the most lives lost were in between D-Day and Victory Day. And so the fact that Paul is saying that all this evil stuff is going to happen and, and increase is just Satan's reaction 
to Jesus empowering the church. You see, before Jesus came, Satan, okay, well, Satan is, you know, he is deceived in nature. Like, he breeds deception because he himself is deceived. And so he thought, maybe I can win. Maybe I can actually take over the earth. Maybe I can become the God of this earth. This is, I mean, yeah. And when Jesus came, he realized, oh no, I actually lost. Because God rose from the dead, he conquered death. And now it's like he's just throwing everything he has at us. Everything. He's not holding back anything because he's trying to take as many people, as many of God, as many of the world, people of the world with him before Jesus returns a second time. Does that make sense? So it's like understood that as the church gets more powerful, the darkness is going to lash out more. But the key thing is the darkness is lashing out more in response to our power. I I have a friend who saw Avengers recently and he felt like God said to him during the movie, I wish the church thought more like these superheroes. I wish the church thought more like these superheroes. And I think, I mean, I think that's a call to all of us. That was actually Micah. And um, I think that's a call to all of us that there's so much more power in us. There's so much more authority in us. There's so much more of Jesus in us than we actually realize. And sometimes we don't actually get to discover that until we put ourselves out there like a sacrifice. Remember what I was talking about earlier, being a sacrifice? Yesterday, um, I was sitting on my porch, well, my driveway, okay? And uh, reading, having a little quiet time, I, the sun had already gone fully over my porch. So it was like, all hope is lost to be in the shade on my porch. But there's a spot on my driveway where the garage cast some shade. So I was sitting in like, and unfortunately that's also where like the oil leaks out of my car. So I'm like just situating things perfectly and like sitting with my feet over here so that I'm not in the oil. And, but I really wanted to be outside. And it just gives me so much life to sit outside. And I'm reading my Bible and um, just praying and kind of meditating on my message for today. And I see the mailman walk across the street, drop mail across the street. And I just ask God, what do you want to do in his life right now? What's going on with him? Um, I want to, is there anything physically going on with him? Like, does he have back pain? I'm kind of just talking to God through my just thoughts. And I, what came, what popped in my head was the word gall. And then I thought, oh, gall stones and kidney stones. So I'm, I'm going to ask him about that. So 10 minutes later, he's going by and dropping my mail off. And I run out there and I'm like, hey, I forgot your name. It's kind of cheating, you know, my name because you have my mail all the time. But what's your name again? And uh, he's like, Paul. And I was like, hey, Paul, do you have gallstones or kidney stones? Yes, I have kidney stones. I was like, okay, well, when did you have them last? And he's just so confused. And I just say a quick prayer for him. Don't get to talk to him about it at all, hear anything. And he just takes off. But man, if I hadn't put myself out there as a sacrifice, I never would have seen the power that's within me. I never would have seen and been aware of my identity of a son of God that hears his voice and that knows what he's saying. We're, we gotta, it's when we make the sacrifice, oftentimes that our identity is actually revealed. So I just encourage you that if you hear us talk about power evangelism all the time and getting words of knowledge and um, prophetic words and all that stuff, and you feel like that doesn't happen for you, that doesn't flow for you, I would lovingly ask you, how many times have you tried? 
Because for me, it's in the trying that I grow and that I learn and I actually hear his voice more clearly. And man, how, how many of us know that that's what the world needs with all this treacherous stuff? More people who are willing to live outside of themselves. So, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of God but denying its power. Avoid such people. What is Paul talking about? Like, is he just going off here? Is he just like ranting about all the things he sees wrong with society? No. In, the, in Ephesus, where Timothy is pastoring, this is a city that was um, totally pagan. And a kind of revival had happened there. Paul plants a church there. This amazing thing happens where all of these pagans, all of these people that have no Jewish worldview, that don't have a, don't have a worldview of a one true God, all of a sudden, all come into the kingdom all at once. They all come to know Jesus. I mean, not the whole city, but a ton of the city. <clears throat> and one of the things that happened from that was it gave an opportunity for false teachers to arise. For people who weren't founded in the, in the Old Testament scriptures, who weren't founded in a theology of one true God, it gave them an opportunity to start teaching different doctrine and different um, lies about what it meant to be a Christian. One of the lies they taught was that the resurrection already happened. And what this means is the second time, like, you know, we'll be, when we die and we're resurrected and we go to heaven, they're saying that that already happened. That Jesus, when he rose from the dead, that was just a kind of show and it didn't really mean a lot. And this, this heresy even went further to say that our human bodies didn't really matter much and that it was all about our spirit and that God didn't care about our behavior because our spirits are perfect blah, blah, blah. It's like this weird heresy that got so off track called Gnosticism. This is very likely one of the kind of beliefs that was going on in this, in this place. And what that led to was people living in such a way that their behavior had no parameters. That their behavior, there was no right or wrong for how you should act. And so Paul is trying to paint a picture that, man, don't be surprised at the fruit of these false teachers. Does that make sense? He's painting a picture for them of what it would look like if you listened to the false teachers and even what the false teachers looked like and how they acted. And what that makes me think of is that people had a love deficit. People didn't really understand who God was and how loving he was because they thought God doesn't care. He doesn't love my body. He doesn't care about my time here on earth. Whereas nothing can be further from the truth. Jesus walked the earth healing people's bodies. And so the idea that he didn't care about what happened in our body is a total lie. And it was a lack, it was a, it was a shortcoming in the perception of how much God loves humanity. God loves humanity so much that he doesn't want to just get us into eternity. He created this earth for us to enjoy. So he wants this this earth and our time on this earth to be redeemed. 
this is a really key phrase in the whole um, in the whole list. At the end, he says, "Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power." In the New Living Translation, it says it like this: They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that can make them godly. And what this really makes me think about is, if the gospel we preach doesn't lead to transformation in people's lives, then uh, that's what he's talking about. The gospel, there needs to be transformation. And transformation happens when we change the way that we think about ourselves and and the way that we think about God. So part of our transformation is actually being willing to be that sacrifice that I was talking about earlier. So the question I'd ask is, how do I respond in kindness and gentleness to this type of behavior? Because that's what Paul says in um, verse 24 of chapter 2. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. So what does it look like for us to create environments where people who are treacherous and brutal and love themselves, where they can actually feel like, oh wow, God loves me. How do we as a church go into our workplace go into our homes, go into our schools, and create environments where people, there's an easy path for them to, to repent and to change the way they think. Because it's not an argument. It's, it's an atmosphere that we can, it's, it's, it's an atmosphere of his presence. I really believe that the way we live will dictate how much people want God or not. How you live is going to show people. It's the barometer for people to say, hey, I do want to be like that guy. What is it about him that makes him different? And I think we really all have the power to, to affect our environments and affect our workplaces. And it starts just with joy. I really think it starts with joy. This last weekend, Micah, um, who's the pastor of the prophetic ministries of the church, associate pastor, uh, had a speaking engagement last weekend in Louisiana. And this church found out about him through his blog. You guys know that Micah has like 75,000 followers on his blog? And that people all over the world, like Saudi Arabia, India, Pakistan, all throughout Europe, South America, South Africa, are tuning into Micah's blog. And um, so this church contacted him. And this isn't the first church that's contacted him. But this is the first one that he felt like was a good, a good one to go with. And so uh, Mike and I went down there, and Micah taught um, four sessions, and I got to help him and assist him. And <coughs> it was amazing, dude. Like, I'm just so honored to have you here. And it, like, I feel like sometimes we don't even recognize how incredible that is to have Micah on staff of this church. So I love you, man. Um, And there was two things, like, the, tr- the trip was so fun because we were just laughing the whole time. We just couldn't stop laughing. Like, and even on the flight home, the flight attendants were just being so goofy, and they were having fun, and it totally changed the atmosphere of the plane. The plane, like, strangers were interacting on the plane. 
people were helping other people take their bags off of the plane. And that was all, I, th- I really think that all started with what Mike and I were carrying, the joy we were carrying, and the flight attendants, the joy they were carrying. They, we were creating an atmosphere that allowed people's defenses to go down, that allowed people to interact with one another. And then I just think it's simple, like, when was the last time you joked around with a colleague? Like, when was the last time that you complimented someone at work? And I think that these little things that we look at as, um, like, menial actually go a long way to determining the type of culture and the type of atmosphere that we're going to cultivate around us. And so something I did, I, w- I want to read you guys a list of kingdom counterparts for these verses. Is it exhausting for anybody when I read those verses? <laughs> lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant. It's like, oh my gosh, I had to read this like 20 times this week as I was preparing my message. So finally I was like, you know what, I'm sick of this. I'm going to make a kingdom counterpart list. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to write down my first thought about what the truth, what the kingdom looks like in each of these areas, okay? So here's what I wrote down. And I'm just going to read it over you guys like a prophetic word for the body of Christ, like a declaration for the church, okay? So check this out. But understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of great joy, for people will be lovers of God, radically generous, brilliant stewards, humble, teachable, healers, Embracing, serving, and valuing mothers and fathers. Glass half full optimistic hope bringers. Totally complete in Jesus. Oozing with love for self and others. Hungry for more of God. Prophetic. Controlled by joy. Tender and not scared of being soft and cuddly. Hating evil. Consumed with destroying the works of the devil. Intentional. Swollen with the presence. Lovers of God, lovers of God, lovers of God. That's what we can be, man. Isn't that cool? That that's what we can be? (laughs) Like, that's just so exciting to think that we can be like that. I want to pray for everybody for a second. Um, I want to minister off of that word really quick. But I just want to, really quickly, I feel like it would be a kind of loss if I didn't address verses uh, 6 and 7. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. To make this really simple, I want to say two things. Paul is not making a generalized statement about women here and saying that women are weak. He's talking about women who have testimonies of coming out of sin in their life and then are being targeted by these actually really influential, powerful, false teachers and are being deceived. And if, if I fully believe that if the main segment of people that were being taken captive by this were men, Paul would have written weak-willed men who blah, 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 blah. Okay? But it was a little segment in this, in this church that was actually just happened to be women. I don't, I'm not exactly sure why. We should maybe... Explain more of the context there. But think of it like this. Those two verses show us that Paul's heart is to be a protector of women. He's not talking down on women. He's being a protector of women. He's saying, Timothy, here's how I want you to handle those women who are brand new believers. Who maybe have been in all kinds, have all kinds of crazy baggage, all kinds of crazy history. 
And how many know that men can have just as, men do have, if not more, just as much, okay? So again, like, please don't let any of this be turned to say something negative about women. But he's saying, hey, those women who have had a hard past, protect them. They're being targeted by the devil right now, by these false teachers. So I want you to actually protect them and look after them and make sure that you don't let these false teachers continue to infiltrate. Think, Paul could have focused this all on um, not wanting theology to be corrupted. But his big focal point here is protecting women. Does that make sense? He could have said, make sure that you don't let them ever blah, 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 this or that about church. No, he's just going right to people. He's saying, protect these people who are being targeted by these false teachers. So does everyone want to stand? I want to, I want to pray for us. I'm going to read that list again really quick. <clears throat> All right. In the last days... There will be times of great joy because people will be lovers of God, radically generous, brilliant stewards. And this is to the church. Radically generous, brilliant stewards, humble, teachable, healers, embracing, serving, and valuing mothers and fathers, glass half full, optimistic hope bringers, totally complete in Jesus, oozing with love for themselves and for others, hungry for more of God, prophetic, controlled by joy, tender and not scared of being soft and cuddly. I love that. That was the hardest one for me to write. Probably means I need it the most. Hating evil, consumed with destroying the works of the devil, intentional, swollen with the presence, lovers of God, lovers of God, lovers of God. Holy Spirit, just break out right now. I welcome you to break out over this room. Stir these things in us. <laughs> Let us just be so overwhelmed with your joy. Let us be swollen with your presence. God is just raising up radically brilliant stewards of money in this room right now. I just break off the lie that you don't know how to use money well. Or that you'll never get out of debt. God's destined you to be a radically brilliant steward of your finances. God, let us just overflow with your presence everything we, in everything we do this week. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys can sit down. And what we're going to do now is receive the offering. So if the ushers would come forward, that'd be great. There's a really convenient way to give through the app. It's like the easiest way to do it. There's baskets down to the furthest left row for this left seat of each row. There's a couple of different, I just want to remind you the different ways you can give. There's two boxes in the back at both of these doors. You can drop your offering in if you missed the basket as it went by. The app is a really easy way. You just search Vineyard Northwest on the Google Play Store or the Apple Store and you can give there. Um, but yeah, so I just, I just want to make sure you know about that. We're going to worship now. We're going to take time to really just be in God's presence. So have a good time worshiping. <laughs> so let's all stand together. We'll start by standing. You can feel free to sit anytime while, you, while we worship. Come up front to worship like to move around, dance, there's more room in the back.
Let's come give all we've got. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. Just there.